From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Oh yeah, here we are rocking it for another great edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, here to talk to you about cars. And oh, I got a fun show in the works for you today. Got a lot of good things going on, you know, and I've been out and about uh, enjoying a little bit of the nicer weather we've had this past day at least it's suddenly warmed up i mean the second it warms up i'm i'm out there trying to do stuff on the cars and uh, we had a cold snap in like the middle of the week here in colorado and uh, we were seeing negative temperatures like negative five negative ten degrees and uh like i don't really care how well insulated your garage is it just (laughs) the the whole just the climate just makes you not want to go outside and uh, work on cars. You know, something about negative 10 plus wind chill on top of that is, uh, ooh, I don't know. But, I mean, you know, I'm the sort of guy, the second the sun comes out, boom, I'm back out there working on the cars. And uh, going to have some fun things in the works on the automotive ADHD project car. I haven't talked about that for a few shows, but progress is being made. It's going to be cool. I'm going to be chronicling some of that on the Facebook page, as well as on the Patreon. Going to have some Patreon-exclusive things on there. Now, I got a loaded show today. Going to be talking about sophisticated things like fine art. Yeah, there was, uh, I don't understand art, and someone blew up the, a Lamborghini in the name of art, uh, for some reason. So we'll, we'll, we'll hit on that. Also going to talk about Alfa Romeos, which are art. Those are art on wheels, and they're also terrible cars, but I love them. And, of course, uh, going to have a return guest, someone you may know. Uh, he's really cool. He's going to be talking about drive-by wire throttles. Yeah, why are they cool? Why don't they actually suck as bad as people say they do? In fact, I would argue they're better than cable throttles. So that's going to be in the uh, last half of the show. And also, I have the winner of this month's Car Sound Giveaway. Yes, the second inaugural winner. Well, it can't really be the second if it's... Or it can't be the inaugural if it's the second. But you get the idea. And that winner could be you. So you got to stick around. That's also going to be in the last segment of the show. Now, ladies, gentlemen, Saturn Skies, I, I want to follow up before we get into anything else. Uh, I want to follow up on that ship fire, the container ship fire from last week. Well, that continued drifting through the sea for the past week on fire. It's eventually gone out. The crews were able to get on there, put the rest of the fire out, and uh, stop the ship. So that is good. Just a little follow-up there. Now, if you uh, didn't catch last week's episode, I would encourage you to go listen to that. But uh, the long story, long story short is there was a container ship full of about 4,000 cars, many Volkswagens, but also Audis, Porsches, and Lamborghinis, Bentleys as well, pretty much everything there. Uh, And uh, the whole ship went up in flames. Now they're saying, after getting crews on board and assessing the damage, that everything is a total loss. Doesn't sound like any of the cars survived the blaze. And um, uh, the uh, news is reporting that it was a $438 million loss. Wow, that's a lot of money. Now, the good news is no lives were lost. So (laughs) that's the best news right there. No one died in this, so that's good. But $438 million, gosh, you know, I would hate to be this shipping company's insurance company right now. Um, But, you know, then again, 
that's what insurance is for. Uh, and it's a big bummer for the 4,000 people, basically, who had cars on that boat, you know, who had been waiting for a year or more on their uh, cars that they purchased and they were waiting for them from the factory, you know. And, and the supply chain is already stressed as is. It's already hard enough to get cars. So that that's a bummer there. And, um, and maybe, I don't know, some of these cars will show up on... Uh, some YouTuber is going to buy them, I guess, and maybe re- restore them. I don't know. I I would I would expect that of one of these uh, YouTubers who restores, you know, like, oh, we bought a salvage car and we're going to fix it. Yeah, burnt to a crisp, uh, you know, Porsche. That, yeah, that won't end well. But I wouldn't be surprised if someone ends up with one of these cars. Mark my words. You will, uh, you heard it about it here first. Now, um, let's tease some of that, that accidental destruction into some senseless, deliberate destruction. Yeah, but before we do that, let's talk about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And uh, why does this matter for cars? Well, it's, it's a long story, but you've probably heard about NFTs in the news. Basically, they're a piece of digital art with a unique code, so only you own that image or that you know photo. No one else does. I think it's a little ridiculous, but there is an artist, uh, I say artist in air quotes, who deliberately exploded a Lamborghini Huracan for the sake of art. Yeah. Can you see? You can't see the air quotes. You got to know they're there, though. And look, I just don't understand art anymore. In fact, I've never understood art in the first place or art people, you know, people who are into that sort of thing. Uh, And um, now the Lamborghini Huracan, it's not. It's not to my taste. Doesn't come with enough rust for me, but it's still a very cool car. And uh, some trendy air quotes artist has decided that blowing one up in the name of art is the cool and trendy thing to do. So they took this Lamborghini and flew it out into the desert, filled it with explosives, and then did what you know they do with explosives, and they blew it up. And uh, all, of course, while a fairly uh, high-production, expensive uh, TV crew, video crew followed them to document the whole thing. Uh, and the video is really strange. I took a look at it. It's not just a video of them blowing up a car. It's interspersed with all sorts of uh, subtext and different images and weird people in masks every other frame. It, it's it's kind of weird and unsettling. I, I don't know. Um, and then they just blow up the car at the end of it. And it's like, to me, Maybe I'm missing something about art. I I don't know. And maybe this is, you know, art works in statements against things to protest things. And I maybe he's, this guy's protesting uh, about cars. He called this car, by the way, not the uh, Lamborghini Huracan, as it is, as its name is, but the dollar sign car, however you want to pronounce it, dollar sign car. Uh, maybe it has a maybe it's a statement about consumerism. I don't know. Money. Uh, my opinion, though, is cars are art. And no one can tell me otherwise. And, you know, artists deliberately destroying other art for the sake of art. Like, at what point does art on a philosophical level go too far? Or can you just call everything art? It reminds me of those stories and weird things like a couple years ago, you know, someone dropped a pair of glasses on a floor at a uh, art exhibition. And that became part of the exhibition. People looked at that and said, oh, this... This speaks to me on a on a fundamental level. You know, I guess ever, anything can be art at that point. Is this podcast art? You bet it is. Uh, but now where the NFT thing comes in with this, the non-fungible token, is apparently they um, 
artist is now taking remains of the car, the lots of exploded little pieces, and digitizing them in some way, selling those as NFTs and selling the accompanying parts. So my question then becomes, if they're selling NFT versions of these actual parts, so you get the real part, you know, like a piece of twisted metal, you get that, and then you also get the digital NFT version of that, and, um, and, and it's all very strange. Now, the question is, the money they make from selling this, is it actually worth more than the entire Lamborghini is worth? And that's, that's yet to be seen. I don't know. Because if that's the case, I mean, this could be a profitable business model. Think about that, right? If you blow up a Lamborghini and then you sell the parts as NFTs and auction them and you make more money than the Lamborghini cost then why don't we just start blowing up Lamborghinis? You just make your money back, right? I mean, again, you know, I, I don't really vote for blowing up Lamborghinis, uh, especially in when the supply chain is such that it is and that there are container ships on fire burning cars up uh, and Lamborghinis. I mean, the problem is, can you go get another Lamborghini? Probably not right now. Uh, also, I mean, gosh, the V, I believe the Huracan has that, that V10 in it. And oh my God, it sounds good. Come on. that The sound of that car is art and no one can tell me otherwise. So uh, now that said, you know, if this whole selling NFT things of car parts um, is, a, is a trend, uh, I mean, look, if you want a destroyed car to decorate your house with, you know, the parts and then have the NFTs, I have plenty of parts Plenty of garbage things littering my garage. I have a whole bin full of parts I'm not using for the uh, Project AE86. So, you know, you know well, how about those will become NFTs too? Or I could also sell NFT versions of the automotive ADHD key tags. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's paying money for those right now. It, it works the other way around. I'm giving those to you. But anyway, so there you go. That is how I don't understand anything about art. Also, speaking of those key tags, if you would like to win one, well, I'm going to announce the next winner in the third half of this show. But coming up next, in just a minute, going to be talking about some other fun things like Alfa Romeos. Yeah, and why they're not selling, because they're not. That's next. And now for how things work with an engineer. CVT transmission. And that was How Things Work with an Engineer. For more of How Things Work, go to patreon.com slash throttlewarrior. Oh yeah, second segment of the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, here to talk to you about cars. And uh, that car sound, by the way, is courtesy of Harry. And, and before I get into this... Um, where, where was the engine in there, you're probably saying? I just heard this swooshing noise. Yep. Well, I could say we're breaking new ground on the Automotive ADHD show with the very first Tesla car sound. How does that work? Well, as you know, electric motors don't, you know, make a lot of noise. It's not really their thing. And yet you can have a Tesla make noise at 120 plus miles an hour. That is Harry. He's a uh, Patreon subscriber as well. And uh, that is his Tesla Model 3 performance ripping around the Pikes Peak International Raceway at speeds over 120 miles an hour. That wind noise is what you hear. That tire noise is what you hear. And in fact, that's probably what a lot of cars sound like going around that track if they didn't have the engine. It kind of is interesting hearing that side of it, but it makes noise. And I mean, how cool is it? Um, sending a Tesla around a racetrack. Not enough people race their Teslas 
That's what I think. And you know, if you've been a longtime listener of the show, you know my opinion on electric cars. I think they have a time and a place. They have a purpose. And so do gas cars. And sometimes electric cars are better at some things than gas cars and the other way around. And it's all up to consumer choice, in my opinion, for you to be able to decide which one is best for you. You know, I think it would be great to coexist with gas and electric cars. I don't think, you know, we have to get rid of gas cars to have electric cars. So, but anyway, um, yeah, want to thank Harry for sending that car sound in and uh, also for being a supporting member of the Patreon, which if you would also like to support the show, like Harry, you can get early access to the show as well as access to some exclusive posts and updates and all sorts of cool stuff. So get in there. It's five bucks a month. It's not bad at all. And of course, the podcast will always remain free, though. So I'm always going to be able to provide that to you. Oh, and one thing before I forget, speaking of car sounds, in the next segment of the show, I'm going to be announcing the winner of the car sound giveaway. As you may know, people who send those car sounds in, they are automatically entered for a chance to win an automotive ADHD keychain and a $25 gift certificate to your favorite parts store. So that going to be announcing that winner for this month coming up. Now, here's something I, I stumbled across. Um, the automotive chip shortage, you know, is still going on. It's it's getting better, but there's also supply chain issues. Uh, you know, cars are getting still difficult to buy. In the, what you have, what, cargo ships catching fire, Lamborghinis being exploded by rogue air quotes, artists, and, uh, of course, dealership markups, um, even on, like, normal cars. I mean, cars are harder to buy than ever before, and yet a recent survey has found one car is uh, not as hard to buy. An Alfa Romeo, yes, yep, in the, uh, get this, by the way. So in the year of 2021, they sold in total, in total, 18000 250 cars, which is also about 200 cars more than they sold in 2020. And uh, and compare that to another major manufacturer. It's not that people aren't buying luxury cars in this you know time. No, not at all. On the contrary. For instance, BMW uh, sold uh, 44,578 3 Series cars in the same time that it took Alpha to sell 18,000. But, but there's more. That's BMW selling one model, 44,000 of the 3 Series. That's one car in their whole lineup, whereas Alpha in their whole lineup sold 18,000 cars total. Yeah, to put that into perspective. And um, and, and I mean, like, you, you have a harder time right now buying an average daily driver, a uh, you know, Toyota Corolla, a new one, or a, a Subaru Outback than you do an alpha and even the fact that you know all these normal cars you know the casual toyotas the subarus the nissans and some of your luxury cars bmws they're all selling for over msrp at the dealership except for alpha which is <laughs> which you can have an alpha on average right now for three thousand four hundred dollars under sticker price that's how desperate they are to sell these alphas and the thing is alphas aren't bad cars i mean when is it ever a bad time to buy an alpha think about it well i mean if you want something reliable and and practical maybe that's a bad time to buy an alpha but jalopnik reports by the way uh that the julia uh one of their models uh strongest year to date uh, was 2018 when they sold 11,000 examples of just that one model. And again, you know, the 11,000 of them there. And BMW, 
selling 44,003 series cars, which are comparable to the Julia as far as being a luxury sedan. But uh, okay, I mean, truth be told, you don't see alphas around. There's not as much brand awareness. Like when was the last time you actually saw an alpha? Like I feel like I see more Ferraris than I do alphas. And I don't even live in an up-end part of the state. Like it's it's pretty rare when I do see a Ferrari. But then seeing an Alpha, and honestly, I get more excited about the Alpha, just uh, just throwing that out there. If you're unfamiliar, by the way, Alfa Romeo, one of the classic, classic sports Italian cars, um, sporty Italian car brands uh, that has sold amazing cars with amazing sounding engines. They're not, how do I say this nicely? They're not known for their reliability, which I partially blame Top Gear for that. The TV show, like old Top Gear, I blame them for popularizing how bad alphas are reliability-wise. But then again, I've been around a few alphas, and, well, they, they, they actually are that way. But, but come on, we can't kick alpha while they're down. No, they're brilliant cars. They're amazing. My recommendation of the day, if you need a reliable, practical, comfortable daily driver, you're better off buying a Corolla. But if you don't care about any of those things then an Alpha is what you want. And of course, if you're trying to get a car under sticker price, if you're in the market for a new car and it's, a, it's in your budget, try Alpha. There you go. You'll, uh, you know who also owns an Alpha, by the way? Friend of the show, OBD1 Kenobi. Yes, Mechanic Brian owns an amazing Alpha Romeo GTV6 from the late 80s, and it is an amazing car. Oh my God, the V6 in that. Speaking of car sounds, I have to get him to send the car sound of that in. That is probably the best sounding V6 ever made. And I'm being, I'm not being sarcastic here. Those cars sound fantastic. So, uh, oh, by the way, also speaking of alphas and speaking of OBD1 Kenobi, uh, he is going to be my next guest coming up in the next segment of the show. Yeah, we're going to be talking about drive-by-wire throttles and why they don't suck. Everyone says they suck. And I think everyone's mistaken. And what better person to explain it than the man who does a lot of work on him? Mr. Brian, OBD1 Kenobi. He's coming up next. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car's suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash ThrottleWarrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. All right, third half of the show. It's the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, and before... We get to my special guest. I want to announce the winner of this month's Car Sound Giveaway. As you know, as I've mentioned earlier in the show, people send me car sounds. And when you send me your car sound, you're automatically entered for a chance to win an automotive ADHD keychain, which is very cool, and a uh, $25 gift certificate to an auto parts store. So something you can actually use and something that you can put on your keychain and it looks cool and uh, it's practical. So uh, that car sound you just heard, that was Arturis in his BMW. And uh, who is, by the way, 
the winner of this month's car sound giveaway. Let's get that drum roll on the table there. There you go, Arturis. Thank you for sending that car sound in. Gotta love a BMW uh, straight six. And uh, I will be reaching out to you here shortly to get your address and info. I'll get that stuff shipped out to you. It's going to be awesome. And uh, now, of course, if you unfortunately did not win this month, that's okay. Send those car sounds in. I love to play them on the show. And uh, also, if you sent car sounds in any time in the past, uh, past, you're still entered for a uh, chance to win. I, I don't roll this. I don't start fresh every month from the pool of uh, uh, people who've sent stuff in. So if you sent it in last month, you're still in the drawing for next month. So you're ready to rock. Now, one thing I want to get on here is uh, talking about drive-by-wire throttle. And uh, what got me thinking about this topic was the Toyota Tacoma I recently bought earlier this month. And uh, it came, kindfully, from the previous owner with a device called a Pedal Commander. And uh, if you're in the truck scene at all, you may have heard of these things. They're not as popular with sports cars, but um, it came with the car. It came with the truck. I hear a lot of guys, I've heard people say, yeah, the pedal commanders are great. They're fantastic. Well, it's terrible. And I don't understand why people like them, but I will explain what it does and why it's it has a purpose. And its purpose is not exactly what the manufacturer says it does. In a traditional, uh, more modern vehicle, you have a drive-by-wire throttle, which means you've got a throttle pedal, uh, which is actually just a switch, basically, a variable switch telling an ECU, the computer in the vehicle, how much to open a servo that opens a throttle valve that lets air into the engine. There's Long gone are the days of having an actual throttle cable that goes to the throttle itself. Um, that's just not how things are done. Now, drive-by-wire throttle lets you do a lot of cool things. And, and joining me in just a minute will be Brian, Mechanic Brian, to discuss this. But I, I want to hit on this Pedal Commander a little more first because um, they have a lot of hype uh, from a lot of people who say they're really good. And depending on your application, it might actually be good. But here's a piece of uh, literature from uh, the manufacturer. Basically, what it does is... Uh, go between your throttle pedal, which is basically a switch, and it intercepts that signal and then sends it to the ECU. It modifies it, intercepts it, changes it, then puts it to the ECU, basically making the computer think you're pushing the throttle faster than you really are, effectively changing the perceived response in the throttle. But their their literature kind of gets me here because there's different modes on this device, which it's a you know little thing you plug into the throttle pedal. It has eco mode, city mode, sport mode, and sport plus. Ooh, yeah. Let's uh, let's just jump straight to um, sport mode. It says our spirited driving mode. Not for the light of hearted. This is our highest suggested mode for around town driving. Seventy percent faster than stock. By faster, they mean faster signal, not making the car faster. Okay, that sounds a little exciting. Now, Sport Plus mode, it says, quote, extreme mode gives any vehicle the response and acceleration of a race car, allowing you to go with zero lag from your ECU, perfect for track and race use, end quote. Yeah. Um, They also say, please use with caution. And here's the thing. The perception with this device that intercepts your throttle input 
is that it makes your car faster. That's the big misconception, and I've heard a lot of people say it. You know, even uh, you know people who, who I know well are like, "Yeah, get the get the pedal commander. It makes your truck faster. You get more horsepower." It's not the it's the furthest thing from the truth because you can't make the throttle open any further than it's designed to open. Literally, all this does is make the throttle open faster. But once it's open at wide open throttle, meaning it's as far open as it'll go, there's nothing more. Like the the uh, theoretical power is the same, whether or not you open the throttle slowly or you open the throttle right away. That peak horsepower at wide open throttle is unchanged. The pedal commander basically does nothing. And now I'm referring to pedal commander by brand name here because I haven't thought of anything else good to call this. But there's other brands that make a similar device. Um, the only benefit to this device and uh and again this can be applied to a lot of cars trucks and other things it's more common in the truck scene like the truck bros and uh like the the big mall crawler guys seem to seem to like these uh, but what it can do is if it's telling the ecu that you open that pedal faster than you did it'll actually trigger an automatic transmission kick down sooner because the ECU is looking for you to push the pedal all the way, and then it says, oh, and now I'm going to change gears. Well, if you have this you know, pedal commander in the highest sensitivity, if you have it there, you just breathe on that pedal. You give it like the tiniest little input, and it triggers wide open throttle. So that can effectively make it feel like it has less lag because you're telling it to you know, go wide open throttle when you're breathing on the throttle, and then it initiates a transmission down change uh, sooner, you know, downshift sooner than it would if you didn't have it. That's one benefit from that. Now, my truck that I bought is a manual, which means it's missing out on the primary thing that the pedal commander does, which is improve the response so that the transmission shifts sooner. Yeah, and um, now, granted, I have now listed my uh, pedal commander, by the way, for sale, and I have locked in a buyer, and that buyer is going to buy this before this show airs, <laughs> so before they hear me talking crap about these pedal commanders. The issue is with it in a manual transmission, you might say, well, why would you want to not have that? Wouldn't you want the more response? Well, the fact is, um, it changes the frequency, the, the response of the pedal. Basically, if you're putting 10% pedal down, you're not getting 10% throttle opening. You're getting... 40, 50, 60, 100%, it changes in the different modes. Whereas factory, it's linear. 10% pedal equals 10% throttle valve opening. And um, it makes it very, I would say, as someone you know who does performance driving, who does track driving, and it needs that precision when you're downshifting and heel towing and doing all these things, it actually makes it objectively harder to do that. Also, in an auto, in a manual, if you have it in that Sport Plus mode, where at literally like 5% throttle pedal, you have 100% throttle opening, it's impossible to start from a dead stop with the uh, uh, manual transmission without destroying your clutch. Like, you try to get it out, you try to ease it off the line and breathe on the pedal, and nope, the truck wants wide open throttle, and you're not even done letting the clutch out, and all you do is end up burning your clutch. So that's my argument against this device. It doesn't give your vehicle more power. Now, the sales literature doesn't explicitly say that, but the way it's worded makes you think that. And uh, also, it makes the vehicle very difficult to drive if you have a manual. The only applicable thing I see it for is if you want the automatic transmission to change down sooner and feel more responsive. 
if you, again, have an automatic vehicle. But at that point, why wouldn't you just put the automatic into the manual mode that all modern automatics have and then just change down when you wanted to? I don't know. I think it's a silly device, but it brings me to an interesting debate about uh, drive-by-wire throttles. I hear a lot of guys say they're too complicated, they're dumb, they're not as good as they sound, and I'm here to debunk that, which brings me to my next guest who has a ton of experience in this field. You may already know him, but if not, he's a professional mechanic, uh, and he has been for nearly 10 years working at a big-name Volvo dealership, as well as running his own business as a performance ECU tuner. Some call him OBD1 Kenobi, but we also know him as Brian. Brian, thanks for joining me. Hola, Matt. Hello, hello, indeed. So I I need to talk about drive-by-wire throttles because I had this experience with the, the pedal commander that came with the truck I bought, and the pedal commander is now in a package on its way to its happy owner, who is uh, definitely not Not me. you. Not, no, not me. So, but, but that brings me to this idea, right, of like what – let's just talk about drive-by-wire throttles because there's nothing more fascinating than throttles, clearly, but also because um, a lot of – car guys honestly don't even know about this either uh, especially some more of the more traditionalist muscle car guys you know uh, they don't know any of the actual benefits of drive-by-wire and even I was I was opposed to it for such a long time uh, and now I kind of realize it's cool and you can do things with it that you literally cannot do with a regular throttle so so just let's g- give me the rundown of drive-by-wire throttle you took the words right out of my mouth Matt there you go. The interview's done. We don't know. Okay. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> then we're I'm done. sorry. We're done. There we go. All right, guys. He did it first. <laughs> That's a wrap. It, I mean, it's literally as simple as it sounds. It just lets the computer handle the throttle. We can finally idle a car without an idle air control valve, guys. I'm sorry. That's just like the biggest thing. Just that, get rid of the idle air control valve and completely. Right there. This is a huge relief. Huge relief to have that gone out of the system. Less, less issues for sure. Okay, and and for reference, the idle air control valve is a little solenoid-driven valve that opens and closes and lets a little bit of air into the intake manifold. It's like cracking the throttle open, basically, on a cable car. It basically cracks it open for you, but because the drive-by-wire throttle, the computer controls it, you don't even need that. The computer will just crack the throttle open for you. It can be put it. It can put it. it can put it in any position in the car. Uh, another uh, feature too is that if you can have a computer control a throttle valve reliably which we do now, drive-by-wire. Um, I have seen some manufacturers use it in ways other than just the throttle itself, and it makes extraordinary changes. Uh, we're talking about, um, I think Porsche, for example, has um, their naturally aspirated uh, Boxer 6s have a manifold that allows the, has two throttle valves in it that can be used to divide the manifold really? into sections. And in doing this, they can they can actually kind of match the uh the the resonant frequency that these uh intake pulses are happening at basically they use it to capture the the reflection off of the back of the valves thereby thereby kind of supercharging the engine um getting above atmospheric pressure really and they're using that with electronic throttle valves in the manifold yeah they can turn them on at certain loads and rpms and that's not the only place they've been used uh Going to Volvos, um, they use a naturally open throttle valve that can be shut on command to allow their superchargers to either activate or disact or uh, deactivate and go uh, bypass the supercharger and go straight through the turbocharger. Okay. Allowing for very superior like twin charging. 
Okay, that's cool. And uh, another thing, too, I mean, the drive-by-wire throttles are, like, super fast. That's one thing that surprised me because I said, ah, they're, they always feel sluggish and slow and, like, OEM cars normally, and I'm like, oh, the cable is clearly faster, but uh, I remember you were at one point showing me a throttle you had on a test bench, and you were opening and closing it um, with, uh, with with a throttle, uh, or a, basically a pedal, but you were opening and closing it, and it was, like, super fast. Oh, yeah, we were using, like, a joystick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a very, very interesting little test there, and that was yeah. just on some, like, one hour of code I threw together to like control a valve. <laughs> but but the point is, I mean that that electronic throttle, it can snap that throttle open so fast, which is, uh, you know, when you when you as the driver command wide open throttle, you can really get to wide open like right away. Oh yeah, and I mean, at this point, you can have more reliable like throttle operation. You can control the uh, how much throttle you can actually give the motor at a certain RPM, which is really helpful for, like, low-speed tuning okay. and acceleration, transient loads. And uh, you can also kind of help increase the uh, the usable, like, uh, how do I put this? Make make the engine less twitchy when you just want to drive it around normally. Kind of have, that. like, a detuned state where it's not as responsive and not as jumpy. Yeah, you can you can control the, uh, the throttle input itself. Which that's much- what... That, that that's one thing I think that OEMs do sometimes a little too much. The manufacturers they sometimes make the throttles a little too sluggish, even though technically speaking, the throttle is actually the drive-by-wire one can be faster, uh, or if anything, identical to how you would have it with a cable. And yet they make them feel sluggish to you know make up for bad drivers. And typically, the lag that you feel in the new cars is just the automatic transmission still trying to decide what what gear to go in because we've got like 10 speed gearboxes now um and with those i mean they are going to be going between gears all the time mm, okay see I, I just the lowest gear possible right now acceleration let's go <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting so now like there's some other things you can do for um with drive-by-wire throttle that's cool like like for instance cruise control how does that work with uh, drive-by-wire it makes cruise control a breeze it's just a bit of code and a speed sensor and you got working the the best the best cruise control actually because it will take the engine wherever it needs to it doesn't if the engine runs out of vacuum that's not a problem it it'll keep opening okay yeah unlike vacuum based cruise control systems Right, which would be like in my old uh, A86, the the red one. It's um, that, you know, it's a vacuum diaphragm that's basically taking pressure and pulling on an extension of the accelerator cable that then opens the throttle valves. And basically, you've got this whole thing taking up a corner of your engine bay. It weighs you got a, a vacuum-assisted servo chilling back there. Right, and, and it does rely on engine vacuum and all these different things. And then with the, the drive-by-wire, that doesn't exist at all. There's nothing more at all. It's purely done in the computer with the existing drive-by-wire throttle. There's no extra hardware, which, I mean, that brings me to thinking why manufacturers like this. You know, when I thought, oh, come on, drive-by-wire, that's silly. Why do car makers do this? Just put a cable there. It's so much easier. But when you think about the uh, ease of manufacturing, well, they've completely bypassed the need for cruise control. And they've also, um, you know, made it simple. Well, it's super nice, too, because we can just slap man take manifolds on and off. Uh, you don't have to calibrate it at all. It handles itself, and you don't have to readjust a cable anymore or reroute a cable 
You know, sometimes some manufacturers make them kind of difficult to get off, but it definitely just makes it all simpler. Like what what sort of like challenges, what sort of limitations do you run into with drive by wire? Is it just honestly magical compared to um, I just literally cable? couldn't think of any disadvantage. Really? Can't think of one. Where do you think the misconception comes from people thinking drive-by-wire is bad? Where does that come from? From the first iterations of drive-by-wire. Just like any other new technology, the first visions of it are almost always buggy. Really? Um, some of the earlier uh, drive-by-wire setups did fail you know, in the long run. But now with the, the, the better technology, I guess you could say, they've kind of got the, some of the revisions down. It's, I don't see many throttle bodies go bad. Really? It does happen, but typically you'll get a code in a certain behavior where you just kind of know what what's wrong with it, and you replace it. Okay, okay, that's interesting. And and honestly, replacing them usually is not a big deal. That's like, put the part on, plug it in, then you're done. <laughs> so, you know, that's uh, to me, that's one thing that's really cool about this, and, you know, has a lot of benefits, too. And you have the ability to change the throttle response on the fly. So, like, how does that work when you have... Um, uh, like you can build different maps basically for your throttle. Uh, yeah, it was like I was saying earlier, you can actually control what the uh, uh, throttle position will be at certain RPMs based upon your pedal position, which is really cool. So you can, you could like, a, theoretically you could set the lower RPMs to like um, half the actual throttle value that you're requesting um, and thereby reduce maybe the uh, maybe the twitchiness of a motor. Or like the opposite where that pedal commander uh, takes you at like one percent pedal and gives you wide open throttle. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. You can move it either way for your advantage. Though most of it usually is just for um, actual feel. Some people want to be able to just touch the throttle a little bit and ex- anticipate the car will just cruise. That's a lot of that too, as well. Okay. Okay. So you would say, if, as a perspective, as a mechanic, but also a uh, ECU tuner for performance applications and stuff, that drive-by-wire is is a win. It is a win. It is especially when it'll be a bigger win soon. When whenever the prices of uh, standalones with drive-by-wire functionality become lower. Okay. Okay. Which, yeah. Because as I said earlier, it's there's no reason really for it to be this expensive at this point because I mean, it doesn't take really any code to make these operate. And not to mention they make it simpler because you don't have to have any, like, so, like any, you don't have to have any PID control involving, like, stepper motors or pulsed uh, DC uh, solenoids and stuff like that. It simply relies on the throttle position, and that is closed-loop controlled by the, by the uh, Class H bridge and, you know, the position sensors, and that's that's pretty simple. It makes tuning easier to, as well. Tuning becomes easier. Well, the last thing I want to touch on, uh, you know, before we wrap up, though, is also um, how you can do fun things with the the throttle and you can actually have it respond quicker. So, like, and I think you were telling me about this one time where if you have a car and you have a standard cable throttle, but you're running it with a fuel injection, so there's an ECU, it has to look at your throttle input and then you know, with the throttle position sensor. And then it has to determine the right amount of fuel to give compared to also the uh, manifold pressure. So how much air is going in and how much throttle. But when you have that drive-by wire... As simple as the fact that the ECU will be the first to know what you're doing as far as throttle goes before any actual actions occur. Okay, so 
it has to react to it normally, right? So if you've got a yes. cable, the ECU has to say, oh, oh no, there's there's input. I, I must do something now. And there's a little bit of a delay. But with the drive-by wire, that doesn't happen because the ECU is the one ultimately commanding the throttle to open. Yes, theor- theoretically, that would go away. But transient tuning has always been difficult. And that's just another topic for another day. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, well, hey, that's good stuff about drive by wire. Look, if if uh, if Brian says it's a win, I think he knows what he's talking about. And uh, let's stop bashing on drive by wire setups. They don't have to be hard. I I hear so many guys. We need to normalize them and we need to make it cheap. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I hear so many guys saying, well, I'm just going to go to a cable or I have to get a different manifold for this LS project or a different throttle body that supports a cable because we can't use the reuse the drive by wire. But that's just that's just not true. I think my only concern with drive-by wire, which is the main concern everyone has, is simply just the the safety aspect. I think people overplay it, but I definitely can see some potential accidents happening from people trying to build their own drive-by wires. Ah, how does how does the factory factor in safety when it comes to drive-by wire? Like, what are the safety concerns firstly, and then how do they mitigate that? Redundancies and fault handling. It's two systems that have always existed with with electronics but um, the redundancy is the throttle body itself has two redundant sensors and so does the throttle pedal these two inputs are always monitored together and compared and if they deviate too far from each other or they don't follow each other correctly um, it will if it goes outside that threshold it just shuts it down and no power is applied to the throttle so basically avoiding, like, if a sensor malfunctioned and read full input, this would be a fail-safe, and the car wouldn't just take off on wide-open throttle. Like, if it, like if sensor failed and you didn't have your foot on the throttle, but it says, oh, I think there's wide-open throttle, this fail-safe system would prevent the car from just taking off uncommanded. Yeah, it would probably, maybe it would jerk from the initial, like, cha- um, breakage, but other than that, it would just shut down immediately. Unless you do something really wrong, and at that point, that can't really be the, the machine's fault if you can't install it properly, right? <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. That's like getting your lug nuts tight, okay? That is that is your job. How, how, how many Uggaduggas is a lug nut? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the correct answer is none. It's it's use a torque wrench, not the impact. But <laughs> anyway, oh, oh man, I've been doing it wrong this entire time. Th- this entire time. This entire time. Oh man. Well, hey Brian, thanks for uh, breaking that down. I love getting your opinion about these things on the show, uh, especially from the, like a technical aspect, because. Uh, you know, it's these things are often mystified in the car scene and even with just casual drivers, not even car people. These things are kind of mystified. So it's cool kind of breaking that down and and, uh, you know, making them make sense. Oh, yeah. We need a hashtag drive by wires. Hashtag drive by wire. Let's make it a thing. Brian, thanks for joining me on the show. Uh, thank you, Matt. All right. There you go. Now you have some more insight. You didn't ask for it. But but here here I am. I have presented you some more insight when it comes to drive-by-wire throttles, how they work, why they work, and why they're actually cool. And uh, now, of course, you can 
you can take this information and uh, annoy all your friends with it who don't care about drive-by-wire throttles. But you and I, we, we care about this sort of stuff. That's why you listen to the show right here. Now, of course, uh, I want to thank everybody uh, who has subscribed on the Patreon as well, but also just thank you for listening to this edition of the show. Uh, now, you can't catch this show on the radio. I don't oft- I, I forget to mention this sometime, but this show uh, also happens on the radio, 91.7 KLZR, Southern Colorado on uh, Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. And if you're in the Southern Colorado area, I encourage you to catch the radio show as well. And uh, now, of course, you can download this podcast wherever fine podcasts and, you know, this one are downloaded. And I will see you same time, same place next week when I challenge a big purple guy who then blows up the universe. I'll see you then. <laughs>